22. You know, it was a year ago that we were here and we were saying, boy, are we thankful 2020 is over and we're looking forward to returning to normal in 2021, huh? That didn't happen, <laughs> did it? Feels like we're right back where we were, like deja vu all over again. But as Dave shared and prayed, God is in control. And he is a good God. And yes, he runs after us. I'm glad he can run faster than I can. Embraces us with his love. Well, New Year's weekend. New Year's has never been a big celebration for me. I mean, I kind of enjoy it in that it's one holiday that I don't have extra responsibilities. I can just kind of, you know, cool it, usually. Uh, to me... January 1st isn't really all that different than December 31st, you know, other than the numbers on the calendar. But I think there's value in the fact that we have the end of one period of time and the beginning of another. And God created it that way. He gave us both years and days. Imagine if we didn't have days, for instance. I did the math, a year would be equal to... Gosh, some, I don't know, like 8,000 hours or something. Just on never ending, going and going and going. But we have these end of days and these new days. And it's like a, a new start. Each morning we have a, a new start, a new perspective. And God says his mercies are new each morning. Have you experienced that? I mean, no matter how crazy a day gets, we can wake up in the morning and it's a new beginning and we can experience God's mercy fresh, new. Well, in a similar way, we have new years. And just like with new days, we have a stop, an end, and a, and a new start and a new beginning. And I'm, I'm thankful for years. Otherwise, I'd have to tell people that I'm 20,872 days old. <laughs> that, that sounds really old. But we have new years. And that's by God's design that we have these break points within, uh, during our time here on earth. And so I think it's this idea of a fresh new start that leads many people to have New Year's resolutions. Did you know that the whole concept of a New Year's resolution goes back some 3,000 years. That's before the time of Christ. Actually, it's, it's traced all the way back to the ancient Babylonians. And it continues today. And according to one poll at least, 48% of people will always make New Year's resolutions. And then on top of that, there's another 17% that usually does, and then some 38% that say they never do. Now, what do you think the number one, is anybody planning to make? Have you made some resolutions? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe one guy did. <laughs> Two. Yeah. Um, well, what do you think is the number one resolution that people make? Lose weight. That's exactly it. Resolutions related to weight and personal health. Primarily lose weight. The number two, it's related to finances. Number three is like social issues. But 38% but of people say, 
you know, weight and, and physical condition. Some 34% say money, 31% say relationships. Now, even though most uh, resolutions are never kept, there's still value, studies show. There's value in setting resolutions. They find that those who make resolutions are 10 times more likely to achieve their goals than those who don't. So there's value in resolutions. Now, coming off the holidays, it's not surprising that two of the big things people are concerned about is like weight, physical health, and financial health. You know, because we spend a lot of money, we eat a lot of stuff, good stuff, over the holidays. But how many people have stopped to think about their spiritual health? And this is where I want to focus this morning. There's a key verse that I want us to kind of keep in mind as we work through this. Um, and it's 1 Timothy 4.8. And it says this, for physical training is of some value. In other words, if you get out and you walk, you ride a stationary bike indoors, you, you don't get exercise, it's of some value. It's good. It's a but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Physical training is good. Godliness is better by far, and it's eternal. Now, um, we're going to be back in our series in 2 Peter next Sunday, Lord willing. But this morning, I want to focus on this idea of resolutions. And in particular, I want to focus on spiritual resolutions. And that's what the message title is this morning. Spiritual resolutions. And I made a handout for you. It's in your bulletin. If you grab that for you at home, it was in the email last night. And you can print that out. And we want to kind of fill in these, these blanks as we go. And also there's check boxes there. And I really want you to make an effort to check off those things as we come to them. Or circle different priorities. We're going to work through this, this worksheet together this morning. And so if you didn't get a handout here in person, raise your hand and Stephen will bring one by to you. Okay, so... By way of introduction, I want to just first look at training in godliness. The verse that I just read you. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. But here's the thing. Just before that, in 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself to be godly. Now, there's your first two blanks on that worksheet. Train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 4, 7. We talked about this word for training just a couple weeks ago. Remember that? In 2 Peter. And what, what Peter wrote, he said that these false teachers and their followers have a heart trained in covetous practices. They actively, intentionally pursue their goal of immorality. But here, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, train yourself to be godly. There's a big Christian word that people throw around, and it's the word sanctification. That's the next blank on your worksheet. Sanctification means growing up in godliness. 
It's progress. It's becoming less like our old sinful selves and more and more like Christ. Now, we talked about this also in our study of 2 Peter. I was amazed how much 2 Peter kind of tracks with what we're going through this morning. But let me read you 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. It says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, listen to this, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know our Lord Jesus Christ? If we're saved, we have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, but are we effective and productive in our knowledge of Christ? Now remember, we have very little to do with our salvation. We do have to, we have to, I believe, make a choice to repent and place our faith in Christ. But he did all the work on the cross. He's the one that puts his spirit in us and transforms us and gives us new life. We do very little, no work at all in our salvation, but we have a lot to do with our sanctification. We're called to make every effort, make every effort. And that responsibility starts as soon as we're saved. We're to begin growing up in godliness, in Christ-likeness. And it's a process of moving from an infant to a toddler, to a child maybe, to a young adult to a mature, believing Christian, an adult in the faith, someone who's mature. And so again, we become less like our old self and more like Christ. Don't you love it when someone finds out your age and they say, you don't look that old. <laughs> I've never had that happen. <laughs> but maybe you have. You, you, do, you don't look that old. I mean, that's a compliment. I'll take that. Thank you. I know I don't look 20,872 days old or whatever it was. But when it comes to your spiritual maturity, your spiritual age, that's not a compliment. How long have you been in Christ? 20 years. Oh, you don't seem that old. You don't act that old. That's hard to believe. I saw you throwing a little temper tantrum the other day like a toddler. You've been in Christ 20 years? See, that's, that's not a good thing. It's not a compliment. The Apostle Paul gave this familiar rebuke to the believers in Corinth. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritually, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. See, sadly, a person can be a believer year after year after year and not grow up in their faith and godliness. And this is the next point. We should not remain infants in Christ. We're not to remain infants in Christ. God wants us to grow spiritually and become more like Christ. We shouldn't be running around, if we've been in Christ for a number of years, we shouldn't still be in spiritual diapers. We shouldn't be sucking our spiritual thumb. We should be growing. So we have these instructions. Train yourself to be godly. That's God speaking to you and you and you and you and me specifically, 
Put your first name in front of that. Paul, train yourself to be godly. That's a command. And so maybe you'd say, well, how do I do that? And the answer is through the practice of spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are like exercises that cause us to grow spiritually. Ooh, exercise. That sounds like work. Can't I just get like, you know, we, we don't like that. We want fitness in a bottle. Don't you know if there was a pill we could take to be physically fit? Well, a lot of people do. They're promised fitness. But the only way to really be fit is to exercise. And so we're called to exercise. In fact, Paul said to Timothy in the verse right before this or, or just after, he said, and for this we labor and strive. See, spiritual discipline requires effort and work. And if we're spiritually lazy, we simply will not grow. We'll remain infants in Christ. Back when I was um, in high school in, in Austin, Texas area, I was on our journalism team, and I got to go down to the state capitol and meet Tom Landry. Now, Tom Landry was the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys for just under 30 years. He was a man of great faith and integrity. I really enjoyed Tom Landry, and I, got, I enjoyed getting to talk to him. But there's a quote from Tom Landry that I think is just really spot on. He says, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Isn't that good? That's his job, to inspire, to motivate, to goad, kind of push along a little bit, and help people do what they don't want to do so that they can be what they really want to be. I think that's kind of the job of pastors and spiritual leaders as well. To do what we might, to encourage people, to move people along, to do what we might not want to do in our flesh naturally. So that we can become what we always want to be. Like Christ. And so this morning, I want to look at five areas of spiritual discipline and how we can train ourselves to be godly. I think that the pandemic over the last couple years has revealed in each of us areas of immaturity, areas where we need growth. Have you felt that? Have you experienced any degree of fear, anxiety, worry, what about impatience, frustration, bitterness? Anybody? Is it just me? <laughs> what about disunity? You know, these are areas of immaturity, of weakness, of ungodliness within us. And this pandemic has really brought it out in the global church. I've been rather sad to see some of what's happened in the global church and where some Believers are. We want to be healthy, well-nourished, physically, spiritually fit believers in Christ. And so my hope this morning is that as we go through each of these five spiritual disciplines, we can take a personal assessment of our lives and we can make some resolutions, spiritual resolutions for the year ahead. So I'm going to start off with the first spiritual, revolu uh, the first spiritual resolution and I'm calling it Bible Intake. Bible intake is number one. 
if you're going to grow spiritually, you can't avoid this one. In the United States today, we have unprecedented access to the Word of God. 24-7, 365. We can get it while jogging. We can get it while driving, while flying in a plane. We have the Word of God everywhere. There's teaching. There's, there's the Word. Yet, sadly, many Christians are more or less biblically illiterate. It's not that they're not intelligent. They can quote business and and sports statistics like this encyclopedic knowledge. Oh, that guy batted 372 in 1969 and went on to be in the Hall of Fame and, and all that. And I'm like, oh, how can you remember all this stuff? We have the, the intellect, but many believers are biblically more or less illiterate. And so if we neglect this one area, Bible intake, this, more than anything, will cause us to be unproductive, immature, unfruitful in our faith. Because God's word is the key to so many things. We know faith comes from hearing, but that's not just faith for salvation. What about faith to meet the daily challenges that we face? Challenges in the workplace, in traffic, at home, challenges in the pandemic, challenges at election time. The faith to meet those things with the Christ-like attitude. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Jesus said, this man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is our daily bread. It's the nourishment and strength that sustains us in a world that opposes us. If we're not feasting daily on the word of God, we're starving spiritually. It's our daily sustenance. Often when I'm working with somebody who's struggling spiritually or who has fallen deeply in an area of sin, if I ask, how you been doing in the word of God? Have you been in the word of God daily? Uh, no, I, you know, I really, I know I need to be, I need to get better, I need to get back in it, but I probably haven't opened my Bible in quite a while. I just haven't. It's, it's very symptomatic and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I did not do the read through the Bible plan this year. It doesn't, I'm, I mean, I'm in the Bible all the time, 2, 4, 6, 10, 12 hours on some days. But I'm studying toward a particular, on a particular topic, toward a particular goal. But this year, I was just exhausted. And I said, I'm just going to take a break from reading through the Bible. And you know what? I think I was weaker because of it. I was weaker because I didn't have day after day the same reminders of God's presence, of his power, of his grace, and how he's moved over centuries, millennia, millions of people. I didn't have that. I didn't have that same reminder, and I need that day after day after day. Well, I'm starting back on it this year, and I hope you will too. Again and again, Jesus challenged your religious leaders with these words. Have you not read? Have you not read? Don't you know what it says? He, he said this in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Have you ever been in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? See, the word of God is essential 
to daily Christian life. So I want to evaluate our lives in this area of Bible intake, first of all. And I want this to be like a, a checklist for us. So first, daily Bible reading. Daily Bible reading. Now, did you know it takes 12 minutes a day to read through the Bible in a year? Most reading plans, you do a little more than that, so you have some days off. I know I, I wasn't able to read on Sundays when I'm, when I'm up early finishing preparations, but there are like five or seven days a month where I had the day off, and so by the end of the month, my Sundays kind of chewed that up, and I was always able to stay right on schedule. Now, if you can't stay on schedule, like Tom said, cut yourself some slack, but let's set that as a goal, a marker, and make every effort. No, 12 minutes a day. Did you know by average Americans, on average Americans spend 3.1 hours a day watching television? 3.1 versus, 3.1 hours versus, that's a, that's a 186 minutes versus 12. And social media is just over two hours a day, the average for every single American. See, we can be filling our minds, but starving our souls. And I think a lot of people are struggling for that very reason. They're all on top of the news, but there's just not time for the word of God. Now, some people might be too, rem too young to remember uh, a publication called TV Guide. Anybody remember the TV Guide? Yeah, it was about the size of a Reader's Digest, and it had all the listings. You couldn't just punch your TV and see everything that was going to be on tonight or tomorrow. You had to buy the TV Guide at the checkout line in a grocery store, have it a subscription. And for about 75 cents, you could find all of the listings in there. Well... This goes to one of my favorite little poems. Now, it's a little bit dated, but you'll get the idea. It goes like this. They lay on the table side by side, the Holy Bible and the TV guide. One is well-worn, but cherished with pride. Not the Bible, but the TV guide. One is used daily to help folks decide. Not the Bible, but the TV guide. As the pages are turned, what shall they see? Oh, what does it matter? Turn on the TV. Then confusion reigns. They can't all agree on what they shall watch on the old TV. So they open the book in which they confide. No, not the Bible, but the TV guide. The word of God is so seldom read. Maybe a verse ere they fall into bed. Exhausted and sleepy and tired as can be. Not from reading the Bible, but from watching TV. So then back to the table, side by side, lay the Holy Bible and the TV guide. No time for prayer, no time for the word. The plan of salvation is several seldom heard. But forgiveness of sin, so full and so free, is found in the Bible and not on TV. Why is it so easy to watch TV and so hard to read the Bible? You ever think about that? I mean, watching TV is like eating ice cream. I could just sit and do it. It's, it takes a little effort. Why is it so hard to read the Bible? It's so easy to watch TV. I think it's because there is a spiritual battle going on. And every one of us feels it. The enemy wants to keep us from this book because he knows if we spend time in this book, we're going to grow. We're going to grow spiritually. We're going to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We're going to grow in our faith. 
We're going to be better equipped to face the challenges of life. He doesn't want that. Turn on the TV. Now, again, that's a little data, but you can substitute social media or all kinds of other inducements for, you know, for the, the TV guide or, you know, the latest entertainment. So if you're already reading the Bible daily, then on your little form, take and check off daily Bible reading. If you're not, consider it. I want to encourage you to start this week. It's only January 2nd. And you can do it by just opening up and starting reading from Genesis, Exodus, You're probably going to get lost somewhere in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's a long, dry spell. I mean, there's, there's rich truth in there. But if that's all you read, that can be a, uh, uh, that can be a tough road to hoe. I really recommend a Bible reading plan where each day you get a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, some of the Gospels, some of the Psalms. It's like a well-balanced meal, salad, fruit, meat, potatoes, dessert. I'd recommend that. And there's many good ones out there, but a good place to start might be right here, a website called YouVersion. And on YouVersion, you can download their Bible reading app. It's free. There's no advertisements. And once you have the app, you can pick a number of reading plans. We use one called Discipleship Journey, I think it's called. And it's just a good balanced plan. But there's others. There's even topical readings for different seasons for Christmas time and that you can do in addition or in place of just through the whole Bible. But I think that's a good place to start. You might also look into an audio Bible where you can listen while you drive or, or while you're going about your day. Um, if you want to have it on paper, like Tom said, we have some of the printed versions of a Bible reading plan back in the foyer. Or other things can also be helpful, like our daily bread is a daily devotional. We have those also in the, in the foyer. The idea is to get into the Word of God. We need daily Bible reading to remain healthy as believers in Christ. And then the second one in related to, day, to Bible intake is meditating on the Word of God. It's great to read the Word of God, but we need to go beyond that. And by meditating, I don't mean like in a Middle Eastern context where you empty your mind of every concern and you, you know, just kind of like channel or meditate. That's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation is filling your mind. It's thinking on things that are good and right and true. That's, that's what Philippians 4, 8, and 9 are talking about. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think, meditate on these things. That's, that's Christian medi- meditation. I like to say, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, right? You're mulling it over and over and over in your mind and, oh, you know. It's, it's worry, but in a positive sense. It's meditating on something pure, lovely, admirable, true, noble, right. So meditation is really important when we hear or read the word of God. If we don't meditate on it, then we probably won't retain much of it. And we'll probably put even less of it into practice. I want to I give you an illustration I brought in this morning. So, how many of you recognize? I'm finding people don't use these much anymore. 
You know what this is? I mean, it's a, it's a natural leather, but a chamois. Anybody use a chamois anymore? They have this tremendous capacity to absorb water. They're great for drying a car or what have you. But here's the thing. If I take this, if I take this chamois and I just pour water on it, look at that, it, it pretty much just runs off. It doesn't soak it up. If I, I can't just like have a drive-by, <laughs> you know, it's, gonna, it's not going to absorb it. Most of it is just going to run off. What we study and hear this morning, if we don't meditate on it, that's going to just run off, and you'll retain very little, probably less than 5% of it. But if we meditate on the Word of God, if we think about it, if we mull it over, if we discuss it with our family, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, We'll get more of that into our mind and into our practice, our routine. Remember what the scripture says? You know, don't, don't fool yourself by only being hearers of the word of God. Do what it says. And so to do that, we need to meditate on the word of God. Listen to what Joshua 1.8 says. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You see the progression? Meditate so that you'll do, so that you'll be prosperous and successful. There's a connection there. More than just read, it's a good starting point. Meditate, do, and be prosperous and successful. So, meditating on the word of God. And by the way, we'll be bringing back the Encore Guide each week, which is a way, Dan's going to be heading that up. He's going to do a great job, and it's going to be a way that you can dive deeper into the text that we teach on on Sunday with application questions, challenging questions, follow-on activities to take that and meditate on it and, and do to apply it. So another, uh, another area of uh, Bible intake would be joining a Bible study, and we've got a number of them. This, is, this, though, is where a lack of Bible knowledge can intimidate somebody into not going. Meanwhile, that's the very place you want to be. That's where you increase in your knowledge of the Word. We've heard some great testimonies over the past couple of years from men in particular who said, yeah, I just didn't, I wasn't comfortable going to a Bible study because I don't know the Word of God that well or I can't find the chapters because I didn't ever learn that little song that they sing with the books of the Bible. I can't, I can't find the books. You know what? Don't let that hold you back. See, a small group Bible study is where you can interact over the Word of God, ask and respond to questions and really go deeper. So we have a number of them, as you know. The monthly men's recalibrate on the first Saturday of each month. The weekly macho men Bible study. The women's flourish Bible study on Thursdays. Barb's impact Bible study on Monday mornings and Monday evenings. There's lots of opportunities. There's home groups. Lots of ways to plug in where you can interact over the Word of God. Here's another way to really learn the Word of God, teaching it. You know what? When you're a teacher, you're the number one learner. You have to. Now, some of the areas you could teach within Riverside, Sunday school, small groups perhaps if you're ready for that, 
home devotions can grow you up and prepare for that. But when you're teaching, you're really learning. Our Sunday school curriculum really ministers to the teachers. We need more teachers. Another thing you can do too is purchasing a good uh, uh, Bible memorization tool like the Navigators has a tool that can be really good. Uh, topical memory system, I think they call it, but ways that we can get the word of God in our heart and mind and, and, and meditate on it. So these are some of the areas that relate to Bible intake. Check those off where you think you're already doing those. Mark those off and where you're not, we'll, we'll come back and we'll look at those and prioritize them. By the way, let's see how we're doing here. Check it out. Now it's holding lots of water. See, it's softened up and it's now able to absorb a tremendous amount of water and retain it. But if we just splash it on there, it's just gonna run right off. Okay, so second, spiritual discipline, prayer. Wow, Dave, thank you for speaking so powerfully to this this morning. If you ask almost any Christian, they'll tell you they probably don't spend as much time in prayer as they think and feel they should. And uh, yet, if our goal is to be like Christ, prayer is indispensable. Here's a couple things that the Bible says about prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's one of your blanks. It goes even beyond that in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this. It says, pray continually. Or in some translations, pray without ceasing. That's a pretty tall order. And, and again, my goal is not to guilt anybody in these areas, but to encourage us to do the things that we might not want to do in order to become the people that we want to be, Christ-like, godly men and women. So prayer is simply a two-way communication with God. It refines our understanding of his will it allows us to participate in what he's doing. And it allows us to place our petitions before him and experience this wonderful provision that he has. He says, you have not because you ask not. Prayer is an avenue for that. And there's certainly a mystery to it, which makes it all the more um, important that we exercise faith in prayer. See, if we really believe that God desires to hear from us and that he listens and that he cares and that he answers, then we need to pray. Here's a couple things that uh, can help us. Set specific times for prayer. If we just wait until we have time, we won't. But if we can block out time in our schedule, specific times in the morning, evening, at lunch, while driving, Block those out, times for prayer. Have an ongoing informal prayer. What does that look like? This to me just really changed my whole understanding of prayer. I didn't have to be on my knees, head down, hands folded before the Lord necessarily. This is a way that you can really excel in this spiritual discipline. Learn to have an ongoing conversation with God. For instance, you're on your way to work. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful sunrise. You made that. You made it beautiful. You gave me eyes that are able to see and behold that. This declares your glory. You're awesome, God. You're talking to God about those things. 
Oh, Lord, thank you for letting me get through that light without it turning red because I was running a little late this morning. Or maybe it's, oh, Lord, thank you that there wasn't a cop sitting right there for that light that wasn't quite so green. <laughs> thank you for that. Recognizing, you know, the Lord in everything. You see somebody, a, a woman hurrying to get her children in the car and race off to the daycare and then off to work. God, be with that family. Help those children to hear the word of God in whatever setting they're going to be in today. Reveal yourself to this family. Give that woman patience. Give her success in her career. You can pray for people in that way as well. If you see someone with the financial hardship and you can't stop and help them, God, I pray that you would help that person. An ongoing communication with God. In the morning, Lord, man, what a blessing. We got warm water. Lights, I can flip a switch and I can have lights in here. I got water that comes out of a tap. Thank you, God. You are so good to us. An ongoing conversation with God. Well, I think this is what it means when Paul says pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Have an ongoing dialogue with your heavenly father. Another thing you can do too is keep a, a prayer list or a prayer journal. Maybe you can use an app, you can use paper, you can use Excel spreadsheet. I got an Excel spreadsheet with all kinds of prayer needs and, and tasks and that that I kind of use to try to help organize my day. Um, how many times have you received a note from, buddy, from somebody that says, hey, thank you for praying. I mean, the Lord really did a great thing and a thank you for praying and you go, uh-oh. I didn't, I, I forgot. <laughs> I wasn't one of those praying. I'm glad the Lord answered it, but that slipped by me. It's helpful to organize our prayers. Um, you, you might tend to think, well, it really didn't matter to God that I prayed because even though I didn't, he answered that person's prayer. Thank you for that. But you miss the opportunity to participate in what the Lord is going to do. So a prayer list or a journal can really help us in that way. Here's some of the top apps uh, that are out there. Um, oh, I didn't put them there, did I? PowerPoint, Phil. Uh, <laughs> there's a number of them. Let me read them to you. Um, prayer Mate is a good one. Prayer NB, November Bravo. Prayer NB is in prayer notebook is another good one. Echo, very simple, user-friendly echo. Prayminder is another good tool that will allow you to record them and will remind you of those prayer, of those prayer needs. Well, another area I want to challenge you and pray with others. Pray with others. There were times where Jesus went off by himself to pray alone, and there were times when he prayed with others. And praying with others can help us to be consistent in our prayer time. Maybe we set, set a goal of spending at least five or ten minutes a day in prayer with our spouse. Ooh, now we combine two of these. Set a specific time and pray with others. This is where, this is where you can really... Um, have the blessing of sharing in this with others. And as a group, we have the, the prayer group that meets in the conference room at nine o'clock before service on Sunday. There's rich prayer when we gather together. There's rich blessing when we gather together in prayer. And, and it's been a blessing to me to see our conference room 
full on many Sunday mornings. Not so much this morning, but on many Sunday mornings, full. Even extra chairs pulled in because the seats around the table are full. Praise God, I've seen us growing as a church in this area of prayer. You've probably heard this saying, uh, seven days without prayer makes one week, W-E-A-K. Well, I think one day without prayer makes one week, amen? We need to be praying continually. We need to encourage one another in this. So, spiritual discipline number three, discipleship. These last two will go quickly. Three, discipleship. You might think of discipleship as evangelism because it's mentioned in the Great Commission, but it's so much more than that. Yes, it includes evangelism, but discipleship is this. Here's a simple definition. It's helping one another to grow in godliness. It's God's model for building up the body of Christ numerically and spiritually. And I counted 35 times in scripture where we're to do something in relation to one another. For instance, love one another, honor one another, accept one another, instruct, greet, agree with, serve, trample. Wait, that was in the negative context. Is it don't trample one another? (laughs) Scratch that one up. Don't trample one another. Be kind, be compassionate, humble, forbearing toward one another. Forgive, submit, admonish, encourage one another. These things can only be done in the context of relationship and one another. Online worship is great as a lifeboat, but it can't be a permanent thing because you can't be around. You can't hear the needs of one another. You can't see, you can't interact. You can't disciple one another within the body in the same way. How many of you have exercise equipment in your basement? How many of you use it regularly? (laughs) <laughs> a couple for something for exercise I mean not to hang laundry on but for exercise you know what you know why gym membership is so popular even though everybody has a treadmill and a weight machine in their basement because we have the encouragement of doing it together being around other people pursuing the same goal somebody there going you're looking huge man <laughs> you know encouraging us we need that in our spiritual growth as well And that's what discipleship is all about. We need others and they need us if we're gonna pursue this goal of godliness. So here's a couple things in that regard. Have one or more people who are building into your life. One behind. One or more people who are building into your life. Do you have people that are mentors to you? that are helping you grow spiritually? And then secondly, have one or more people whose lives you are pouring into, building into. Are there those you're discipling? And as you think about these things, let me encourage you to consider some of these relationships at work, school, extended family, church relationships. Maybe just take some time to think through those relationships. Who is there that could be pouring into my life, that could be discipling me, and who is there who maybe is younger spiritually than I am, who I can be pouring into their life. And then another thought here is to combine. uh, Combine discipleship with other activities. This is a cool thing. It's, It's often referred to as life on life discipleship. 
you know what? There's a lot of things we got to do in a, in a given week. Maybe for some of the moms, it's caring for the kids, going to the grocery store. You know what? You can do those things together. We have families that get together and go to the park and have a play date together. And while the kids are playing, the moms can interact. And if they're intentional about it, they can disciple one another. I love sharing a hobby with somebody. And during that time, there's great discipleship opportunities because when we're in our normal life routine, that's when the real you comes out, not in the foyer. <laughs> you see the real you when you're, you're painting the back Sunday school room together, when you're running errands, when you're working side by side, life on life evangelism, or excuse me, discipleship. So discipleship has an element of fellowship but it doesn't stop there. This is really important. It's not just fellowship. You have to be intentional about discipling. You can ask questions about each other's spiritual life. Some like this. What have you been reading in the Bible lately? What has God been showing you? What kinds of trials are you facing? Have you been doing in the spiritual disciplines? In fact, it'd be a great activity to go through the things we're discussing this morning. Which one are you going to pursue first? Which one do you need the most work on? How can I help you? These are intentional spiritual conversations that comprise this discipleship model, helping one another to grow in godliness. So consider how you're doing in this area and what kind of resolutions should you make for the year ahead? Okay, number four, stewardship. What is stewardship? It's a big Christian word. What does it really mean? Well, real simple definition. Stewardship is the care and management of something that belongs to someone else. You're taking care of someone else's stuff. And Christian stewardship has to begin with this, recognizing that God owns everything. That includes the stuff that we own. He owns it. We just kind of think we own it. We don't. We're stewards of it. God owns it, and we're taking care of his staff. See, he's entrusted certain things to others to manage. He's entrusted certain things to you, including your time, your talents, your resources. He says, I'm giving this to you, but I want you to ma manage it on my behalf. We don't make a big display out of giving at Riverside. We don't pass a plate on Sunday morning. We don't have a yearly bagathon. But that does not mean that giving is not a big deal to God. Giving is a big deal to God, but it's a big deal between you and the Lord, not between you and the church. It's between you and the Lord. See, you don't give to the church. You give to the Lord. You give through the church. Okay, you're giving us to the Lord through the church, but it's between you and the Lord. We don't want to make a display of that. We don't want to compel people to give. So the offering boxes are in the back for your private giving. It's a big deal to God. 42% of Jesus' parables were on faith, or I'm sorry, on, on, on money and possessions. And the Bible has 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. It's a big deal to God. Not, it's not that it's a big deal to him. It's that money is a big deal to us. That's why he has to talk about it so much. Well, 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 have this. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, is important, each man should give what he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, you ever wonder though? God, you, you own everything. Well, why do you love a cheerful giver? Why does it matter to you? You got so much. I got just a tiny little, when I fly over this country, I go, my stuff is like, I can't even see it. It's so little. Why do you care? I've, I've come to this understanding as far as why God cares and why he loves a cheerful giver. First of all, God is a giver himself. It's an attribute of godliness. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But beyond that, it's not receiving the material value of our gift that pleases God. Because he already owns everything. Rather, it's the fact that our ability to give generously means that we've reached a point in our spiritual maturity where we are trusting God and his promises and not chasing after passing pleasures. Think about that. We've reached a place where we really believe that I can give everything I can and the Lord is still going to take care of my every need. See, God says, ah, wow, it took a while, but you're there now. It's a reflection of our spiritual maturity and that's what God loves because we're trusting in his word, in his promises that he will provide and care for us. That's why he loves a, cheer, a cheerful giver. There's a lot of talk about how much should I give. Well, there, should I give a tithe? Well, in the Old Testament, there are actually two to three different tithes. They could add up to 23.5% if you're a strict tither. The principles in the New Testament are that we're to give proportionally, in proportion to our income, generously, and sacrificially. That's what you'll find in the New Testament. And I would say, additionally, give increasingly. R.G. Letourneau is a great example of this. He came to a place in his life, he was a very successful businessman, God blessed him, and he became a reverse tither. He gave away 90% of everything he made. He said, I only need 10%. And my oldest son was a, a beneficiary of his generosity because he went to Laterno University where he got an awesome Christian education along with an engineering degree. Give increasingly, as the Lord blesses you, do we really need to increase our standard of living so much or our standard of giving? See, we're to be distributors, not end users. He wants us to learn to hold that loosely and to steward it. But that's between you and the Lord. You shouldn't give reluctantly or because Paul's compelling you to, but it should be what you purpose in your heart to give you and the Lord. Another thing I wanna encourage you in, in this area of stewardship is to partner in mission work. Get on board and support one or more of our missionaries. Boy, you'll be so close to what's happening there. See where your treasure is, there's your heart. You'll be praying for those missionaries. You'll be praying about the things going on. Yes, we support missionaries as a church. 13% of our budget, 66% of our disposable income. But we're modeling that for our church family. We should individually be investing in the work of mission. 
And then finally, support those in need. Benevolence ministry, meals ministry, these are, these are great opportunities to do that. I found it helpful. I always found that, like, I, I give, and then just when I'm like, okay, I think that's all I can do, then somebody would have a need, and it would be frustrating to me. It's like, oh, gosh, now, you know, now we're taking muscle and bone here. So one of the things I did was I set aside a part of money, a part of my income monthly for just those kinds of things, for the the needs that people might have. And you know what? When one came up, uh, hey, I've got this. In fact, I hadn't found a place to use it this this month. And it made it so easy to apply it to that need. I was looking for opportunities and going, oh, if one more thing comes up, I'm going to be broke. (laughs) So anyway, support those in need. If you have a question about financial stewardship, I come see one of the elders or there's a little book called The Treasury Principle. I thought it would pop up. Maybe it didn't, but it's a great book by Randy Alcorn that'll talk about the principles of stewardship. And then the final one is service. This is the fifth spiritual discipline. There are more, but these are the five key ones. We've seen this in our study of 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Each one is used whatever gift he's received from the giver to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this verse makes it really clear that that these gifts have two purposes. First of all, serving others. And secondly, bringing glory to God. That's the purpose for those gifts. When we serve others, it not only builds up the body of believers, but it glorifies the Lord. It's a win-win. I love this verse. I use it often in, in just thanking somebody for work they've done. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. It says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, number one, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's bringing glory to God. Here's another point. Our service to the Lord is an act of obedience that should be motivated by love and gratitude for what he has already done for us. It's a response. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. So there's a lot of opportunities to serve. You know many of them within the church. Let me just highlight a couple that are a particular need right now. We need more Sunday school teachers. We need some leaders in the Sunday school to help the Sunday school teachers. We need members on the mission committee with heart for mission. We need members on the Benevolence Committee that manages and distributes the benevolence funds to those in the church family who have needs. We need a website administrator. Deborah would love to hand over that job. We'll train. (laughs) We need a website administrator. We need a newsletter editor to relaunch our newsletter. These are some of the needs. There's many more. Um, If you want to get plugged into an area of ministry, come see any leader in the church, myself, Dan, or send an email to the front office. We as a church need people to serve, no doubt. But here's the more important thing. We as individuals need to serve. We need to serve because it brings glory to God and 
it develops Christ-like character in us. Serving develops Christ-like character. It causes us to grow. If we're not serving, then there will be many ways in which we're not growing. So we'll just add this last one to the, to the checklist. Sacrificial service in accordance with one's gifts. Did it come up? Did I miss it? Ooh, I'm too behind. Sacrificial service in accordance with one's gifts. Well, I want to wrap this up. It's January 2nd, the beginning of a new year. And thank God that we have new, fresh, new beginnings. And this is one of them. He planned it that way. It gives us a new outlook, a new start. Someone said, you can't go back and start over, my friend, but you can start today and make a brand new end. That's what we can do. We can make changes today that will have a different end at the end of 2022 and 2023 and at the end of our life on earth. Maybe you've been struggling in some ways over the past two years. Many have. Maybe you've stayed strong. Either way, spiritual disciplines are the exercises that help us grow in godliness. There's a a good book if you want to look into this more. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. Good book that will help you dive into these and other disciplines. You can find it on Amazon. It could be delivered on Tuesday probably. So we covered five areas. Five important spiritual disciplines. Bible intake, prayer, discipleship, stewardship, and service. How are you doing in those areas? Was anybody actually able to check all the boxes? What about the humility box? (laughs) I can't check all the boxes. There's ones I need to work on. And I probably can't just start all of them that I'm not excelling in right away. I got to prioritize those. Pick a few. And not only that, we all have busy lives. So if we're going to start doing something new, we're going to have to stop doing something else. So think it over. What would God have me stop doing And what would God have me start doing as a priority as we look at the year ahead? So let's think about these. Let's meditate on them. I want you to keep this list in your Bible. Go back to it throughout the year. And let's encourage one another as we grow in godliness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you have done for us already and through us. And God, as we look at the start of another new year, it feels a lot like the start of last year, God. We don't know what the future holds, but you do. And I pray, whatever it is, good times or bad, God, that we would grow in godliness, in our relationship with you and our faith. I pray that our lives would be centered around you and your purpose for us. Give us this wisdom that we need to discern the things in our life that we need to stop doing, Lord or cut back on, so that we can do other more beneficial things. Things that have value for all things, both present and eternal. God, uh, we want to be like you, so that you might be glorified in us. And so help us in this regard to make some spiritual resolutions, and give us the strength to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.